Welcome to the West Side Audio Message Podcast. We hope you enjoy today's message. And if you're looking for more ways to connect with West Side Assembly of God, feel free to check us out at www.westsideag.org. You'll find all the information about our service times, upcoming events, and opportunities for you to plug in and get connected with West Side Assembly of God. Additionally, you'll find a complete online archive of all of the previous and current messages absolutely free of charge. We hope you are encouraged by this week's message, and thanks again for downloading the West Side Audio Message Podcast. Now, no shrub had yet appeared on the earth, and no plant had sprung up, for the Lord God had not sent rain on the earth, and there was no one to work the ground. But streams came up from the earth and watered the whole surface of the ground. That's the NIV version. Skeptics and critics have tried to make a big deal out of Genesis 2 being kind of a reiteration of Genesis 1 and the order of things doesn't follow just like it did in Genesis 1 and those who are bound and determined to discredit the Bible go there and say well look how confusing it is they don't even agree that they came in the same order but they were listed in a different order because Moses had something different in mind when he was going back in the second chapter and enlarging on the first chapter which is why you have two accounts of creation it's the same creation but the first one was a summary and the second one he zeroed in and focused a little bit now this was not uncommon in the literature of that era even the pagans in their religion and their writings used a similar writing style when they gave the summary first and then they next they moved in and, and zeroed in a little closer on the thing so this is not two conflicting accounts this is the account of the same thing the order is different because they wanted to emphasize things in a different order not because they were declaring that there were two different orders from uh, through which the, the the creation happened all of these things are easily answered for the skeptics who try to make a big deal out of it being inconsistent it's not inconsistent whatsoever they just don't understand the style of writing that was used now the first point I'm going to deal with today before we actually get down to the, the, the main topic is the condition of land before man. This account gives the description of the state of the earth prior to the creation of Adam. So I'm going to compare the verses in 4 through 6 in the King James Version with the NIV Version. And you're going to see how the NIV clarifies a lot of things that is left somewhat ambiguous in the King James Version. First, the KJV. It says, these are the generations of the heavens and the earth when they were created in the day the Lord God made the heavens. And every plant of the field before it was in the earth and every herb of the field before it grew for the Lord God had not yet caused it to rain upon the earth and there was not a man to till the ground but there went up a mist from the earth and watered the whole face of the ground now that's the King James Version now watch what happens when you put it in NIV and you see some extra information that comes out and it says this is the account of the heavens and the earth when they were created verse 5 no shrub had yet appeared on the earth and no plant had yet sprung up. And King James did not really say that clearly in their translation. It said it's just the, uh, every plant of the field uh, was in the earth and every herb of the field before it grew. It doesn't say that they weren't there, that they weren't growing. So NIV clarifies that and says this is the condition of the earth before there was any shrubbery and before there was any edible herbs. 
And then it says, but streams, and the King James Version says, a mist came up. And, verse, and NIV says, streams came up from the earth and watered the whole surface of the, ground, of the ground. Now, the reason that there's a difference in wording is because that Hebrew word is difficult to translate. Scholars are not quite sure if it was a stream or a mist or what it was. And, and the scholars that worked uh, under the uh, direction of of King James to produce a, a translation, decided to settle on a mist. So we have, many of us, if we've been in church for many decades, we probably are more familiar with the King James version of this, and we've grown up believing that there was a, a mist that just hovered over the earth. But uh, as we have scholars that have become more skilled in understanding the Hebrew, uh, and the, it, the original languages of the Bible would be the, the, the Greek and Aramaic in the New Testament, the Hebrew of the Old Testament, uh, they've begun to question whether mist was the best translation of that. Now, actually it doesn't matter if it was streams or a mist, but uh, most scholars now are, are tending to lean towards the possibility that what hap actually happened was it... For a fact, it hadn't rained yet before the creation of man. But they felt like there were streams that probably flooded at certain times and kept the ground too wet for uh, vegetation to grow. There's two reasons why there was nothing there to eat. Number one, it was too wet, whether it was by a mist, and we'll, we'll give some allowances, or whether it was by flooding streams. Number two, there was nobody to till the ground and grow anything uh, that would be edible. So th these two conditions are listed there. Two statements are actually being made here. The first, the first statement is, there's no shrubbery, and I put in parentheses, edible plants. Because that's kind of the inference from the original language. There was no edible plants in the wild. Why? Because it was lack of rain. The only moisture they had was whether it was a mist or these streams that flooded. But in the wild, there was no shrubbery because it wasn't raining. And you know what happens when it doesn't rain. And the second statement is, there was a lack of life-sustaining vegetation, edible vegetation growing because there was nobody to till the soil. Thus, because of both conditions, there wasn't food growing before man was created. Now, one of the most common errors from this passage is that it has been suggested many times that it did not rain on the earth until God made it rain uh, to, to flood the earth. Noah built the ark, remember? And it has been commonly preached and taught that when Noah built the ark, they thought it was foolish because they did not understand the concept of rain and floods and what's he doing with this big boat out here and when it began to rain it's like the whole population of earth is what's this wet stuff falling out of the sky they were not familiar with the rain but that's that's not at all emphatically emphatically that is not at all the truth God had instituted the the whole system of uh, the operation of what we call nature when man was created, it was already starting to, to rain and evaporate, and that whole thing had been in place. So it is a misunderstanding 
a false information to believe that it had not rained for hundreds of years. That simply is not the case. Because the mist was not sufficient to allow stuff to grow. Or the floods were not, uh, the, the conditions were not there for things to grow. That's what Moses is saying. Until man was created, then the conditions were put in place where all things would operate as they do today. And then you go to the story of, of Noah and God said uh, that he would set a bow in the clouds, the rainbow, after the flood as a sign of the covenant between God and earth. And when people read that, they say, well, there must have never been rain before because there was no rainbows before. Because God then set the rainbow in the cloud, in the sky, as a covenant. But that's not the case at all. God set the bow in the clouds, but it doesn't mean there was, he had never uh, set a bow before. He just pointed to it and said, from now on, when you see the rainbow. He was making a due declaration with reference to the rainbow. And he said, from now on when you see it, think about this. Now, Jesus did a similar thing when he had the Lord's Supper. Uh, there was the bread, there was the cup. It was things they were customary, accustomed, accustomed to doing. But he gave them new significance from that point out. They had many meals and drank many cups and ate much bread. But never before did they understand a new significance would be attached to it. So God gave the rainbow a new significance. And then, when God created man, then he created that weather and the conditions that would allow for the growth of uh, life-sustaining vegetation. Verse 7, then the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. God created Adam in his own image, but fashioned him out of the soil. The implication is that man has a connection with God because he has been created in his image, but he has a connection to the earth because that's the source of the material that God started with to fashion him. So Adam has two Natural connections, God and earth. We are, because we are descendants of Adam, earthly beings. When God created Adam, he started with dust. Now, how many of you have heard that we are a large percentage water? How many of you have heard that? We're, we're about... I've heard a lot of different figures. Some people say we're like 97% water. But people, do you realize if we were 97%, we would slosh a lot when we were? We're about 75% water. I don't know how we'd hold ourselves together if we were 97% water. And I just, out of uh, curiosity, went and looked up what we are actually composed of. God took this dust and that connected us to earth and our origins. So what, what elements, minerals came with that handful of dust that God created Adam from? We are made of 65% oxygen. 
18% carbon and 10% hydrogen. 3% nitrogen, calcium is 1.5%. Now, now we've got the main elements out of the way with oxygen, carbon, hydrogen, and, and even 3% nitrogen. But now we're getting into uh, very minuscule parts. 1.5% calcium, 1.2% phosphorus, 0.2% sulfur, potassium, 0.2% sulfur, 0.2% chlorine, 0.1% sodium, 0.05% magnesium, and you take iron, cobalt, copper, zinc, iodine, selenium, and fluorine and put them all together, and that makes up the other 0.75% of what we are. So all of this stuff in the dust, that's what we're composed of physically. I'm going to jump down to the 21st verse in order to try and bring this whole thing together in a systematic way. And I, I'm going to look at uh, the creation of Eve. The 21st verse says, So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep, and while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and then closed up the place with flesh. And the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man. God created Eve. When God created Eve, he did not start with the dust of the ground. He started with the rib of Adam. So man traces his source back to God. Adam traces his source back to God and to the elements of the earth. Eve traces her sources back to God and to Adam. She doesn't trace her source back to the earth. Had Eve been fashioned directly from the soil like Adam was, and God could have done that. I don't know how much you have pondered these things. Maybe never. Maybe you've got other things to ponder. But why didn't God just create Adam and Eve both out of dust? You've got this ready-to-go pair. It seemed logical to me. But he had this, had this very purposeful, meticulous plan where he created man first and man was alone. It's a very dramatic story in the way God told this when he very easily could have just created a set. But he didn't. He went through this, through this whole strange process where he creates man and causes man to realize his aloneness because it sets a precedent and an example for us to understand purpose. Now, when God did it his way and created man, and they created Eve from man, he created by doing that a special bond between man and woman that never would have existed had they come out of separate piles of dirt. Adam was tied to the earth, and the animals, the creatures, were tied to the earth. Adam had a connection to God and earth. But now Adam has a connection to Eve, and Eve has a connection to Adam because they are sharing DNA. Somebody says, was Eve virtually the first clone? 
Well, no, not by the definition of clone she wasn't. Because a clone would have had necessarily to be another man. Eve was not a clone. She was a creation. Just like Adam was a creation. She was still created by God, only starting with a different source from which to work and build this creature. So now they've got this, they've got this special bond because they share DNA. And Adam did not share DNA with any other creature. Now back up to verse 8. And it says, now the Lord God had planted a garden in the east, in, the, in Eden. We talk about the Garden of Eden, but Eden was a bigger place than a garden. Eden was a large area. There was a garden in Eden, and there he put the man he had formed, and the Lord God made all kinds of trees to grow out of the ground. Now that man is there, there's going to be edible Shrubbery, vegetation, trees. It's necessary now. They were trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food. And in the middle of the garden were the tree of life and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Then I skip to the 15th verse. And the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. And the Lord God commanded the man, you're free to eat from any tree of the garden. But you must not eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat from it, you will certainly die. This is, we had uh, the land before man. Now we've got life before Eve. This is a little snapshot of what it was like for Adam before there was a helpmate, before there was an Eve. He was a professional gardener. He had been given two specific bits of instruction. First of all, God said, take care of the garden. He was to work the garden. We have a little insight into what life was like before the fall. The garden required being worked. And we have a hard time understanding that. Well, if it's a perfect place, what is there to work? You don't have to weed anything. Surely there weren't noxious weeds. What do you do in a perfect place? But it's the, it's indic, it indicates here there certainly was work to do in the garden because God did not want man to be idle. Even in perfect conditions, God doesn't want man to be idle. There's work to be done. There's always work to be done. Even in the world before the fall, before the curse, God set in place that there would be a garden to be taken care of. And he stocked it with these fruitful trees. It was move-in ready. It was in good condition. But God said to Adam, keep it in good condition. You are to oversee this. What could possibly happen in a perfect place? But there's another interesting thought that's worthy of consideration. Hebrew language scholars suggest that the particular kind of work, quote, and unquote, has as much connection to priestly duties as it does agricultural duties. So it may have not meant as much as we think in the garden where you have to 
fertilize things and weed things as much as Adam kind of taking on priestly duties that would be associated with being there. And his duties may not have been so vitally necessary to the productiveness as the garden as it was merely to keeping God's, God's garden in just proper order. So Adam's work was in a way, if it was like somehow carrying out priestly duties, it was his service and worship of God that he was doing. And one of the duties, well, actually two of the duties that we know for a fact Adam eventually had in the garden was number one, naming animals. It's a job that had to be done. That was his job. The other duty that we discover after the fact was guarding against talking snakes. There was a real risk here that Adam was responsible for watching out for. Adam the gardener. Adam, the free moral agent. The second instruction that God gives to Adam, the first one was take care of the garden. But the second instruction was, now I've put two trees right in the center of the garden. The tree of life and the tree of knowledge. Eat of the tree of life. Don't eat of the tree of knowledge. The instruction and the warning would never have been necessary if Adam was not created a free moral agent. He was created with the power of personal choice. See, that's who we are. We are people that have been given from the very day man was created. We have been given by God the power of personal choice you can do whatever you want but actions have consequences and people wonder why there's so much difficulty and problems in this world is because man can do what he wants but he doesn't always count the cost of doing what he wants you have a choice Choices have consequences. God gave man the capacity, mankind, humankind, men and women both, to make decisions independently and apart from God. And I know some people that are skeptical of God and skeptical of Christianity try to envision another kind of God that they think would be a whole lot better if there really were a God. And the God that they envision is a God that would rule over rule over a, a world where there is no, no uh, pain and no heartache and no uh, injustice and no starvation and no wars and no uh, heinous crimes. And, but you know the only way you have a world like that if God creates robots and programs them that they cannot do wrong, that all they can do is just by automation and by force do only what is right and make only good decisions. But when God allowed the world to be populated with people who have free moral agents, that's where the problems come. Free moral agency means you can make bad decisions. You have a right to, but you live with the consequences of those bad decisions. 
So now we're understanding why there is a God, but why there's also problems in the world. It's not God's fault. It's our fault because we don't always make good decisions. Adam the gardener, Adam the free moral agent, and number three, Adam the loner. Verse 19, now the Lord God had formed out of the ground all the wild animals and all the birds in the sky, and he brought them to the man to see what he would name them, and whatever the man called each living creature, that was its name. So the man gave names to all the livestock, the birds in the sky, and all the wild animals. But for Adam, no suitable helper was found. So the Lord caused the man to fall into deep sleep while he was sleeping. Took out one of the ribs, closed up the flesh, and the Lord made woman from the rib he had taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man. So obviously... One of those tasks that God had assigned to Adam while you're in the garden is, by the way, you're going to have to get busy and give everything a name. And Adam did. And then, <clears throat> that really was kind of a side issue. That was letting Adam go through the whole process of naming the animal kingdom, yet coming at the end of this project, this duty that he was to perform, and sitting down with this gnawing sense of loneliness as he saw in the animal kingdom that there were animals of like kind. And sometimes they would move in herds and packs and he saw in the animal kingdom male and female and he goes through this whole thing and this, this sense in himself is being awakened that he sees all of the animal kingdom and how they interact but he goes off by himself and he says I, I, I don't have the same kind of fellowship where's all the rest of me around here there's all these other people. I don't belong to the tigers and the bears and the dogs. I don't, I don't, I don't fit in. We all come from the dirt, but I have no connection to them. And he sits down and he feels like, I'm the only one of me here. And something seems missing. And God sends to Adam's frustration and when God had methodically brought Adam to the point where he realized he lacked something and needed something that's when he created woman that would have not happened had he created both of them Adam was tied to Eve and Eve was tied of Adam to Adam biologically he was not tied biologically to any animal he was tied geologically to the rest of the world, to the rest of creation. But he was only tied biologically to Eve when God got done with this operation. So what God really wanted to accomplish here is he, he begins by 
giving Adam this project to name the animals. And what he was really trying to accomplish was not get names for animals. You have to understand that was not God's highest ideal. He was trying to make a full demonstration of the fact that Adam would never be completely fulfilled taking a beast of, his fee, of the field as his helper. He couldn't take a domesticated horse or cow or say, you will be my sidekick for life. And man would never have a fulfillment by doing that, and he had to make Adam see that. Adam was looking for something that was kind of like himself. Where's my group? There were birds, there were beasts, every living creature had somebody, but he was one of a kind. And he was alone. And his sense of aloneness was now brought to its height. And that's when God put Adam to sleep extracted a rib and created Eve. And you have to try and imagine this scene if you can. This, God wakes Adam up after this operation. And he presents to him this new creature that has come into being while Adam slept. You go to sleep alone and you wake up and boom, there's this new creature. It has to be quite an emotional shock. She wasn't here when I went to sleep. Where did she come from? Well, while you were sleeping, I stole a rib. And I fashioned this woman. And here she is. So he, he wakes up. And he brings woman to man and presents her. Now, if you back up just a few verses, when God told Adam to name the beasts, he brought the beasts to Adam and he named them. So Adam wakes up from this deep sleep and God brings Eve to her. And what do you think the first thing he did? He named her because that's the only thing he knows to do. He brings things to me, I name them. So he brings this woman to him. And the only thing that he can think of is, I think I'll call her woman. Now we have an interesting dynamic here. Because in the English language, you can see the subtle connection of the terms man and woe-man. You can see the connection. One is a derivative of the other. But it also happens in the Hebrew. This doesn't always happen in different languages. And so man is ish. And woman is ishah. It's, it's, they're very closely related. So we, could, we can very easily substitute the English words. And see what was happening in the English language. When Adam says, I'm a man, you will be woman. And Adam said, or at least Moses wrote it in the Hebrew. Adam said, I'm an ish, you'll be an isha. We're going to get along great. We're connected. We're, we're kind of like each other. And, and Adam is trying to process that. He's looking. He's never seen another human being. But he's looking at this and he's puzzled. He's saying, she's kind of like me, but not. 
it's not exactly me, you know. I, I, there, there's some differences here. But on the other hand, she's more like me than anything else I've seen all day. <laughs> and this is the first words recorded that created man spoke. Now, he, he may have spoke words before, but who's there to appreciate it? But now he speaks, and the first recorded, recorded words, he says, this, he sees Eve, he says, this is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh, and I'll call her woman, because she was taken out of man. And God explains to Adam and says, Adam, this is your new helper. Now that's critically important to understand what God has just introduced woman as. And it's also the part we, ha we have some difficulties understanding. Just exactly how does God expect men and women to coexist in this world? What is our relationship to each other? I'm going to give you two terms to remember. Complementarian and egalitarian. Now, how many of you already know what I'm talking about when I say it? Would you raise your hand? This is wonderful because I get to teach everybody something. These are important terms. You may not hear them in general discussion, day to day, but eventually you're going to run into somebody who's going to say, I'm an egalitarian or you're too complementarian. So, Please acquaint yourself with these terms today because they are very uh, widespread terms in our culture in this day. Complementarian. If you don't have any paper notes, you can get the notes off of our website. Go to our website and go to the Discover tab. And after the Discover tab, go to the Message Notes and go to the Message Notes and you'll find the notes to all of my sermons there. Complementarian egalitarian, are two different philosophies about how men and women are supposed to uh, interact, what the relationship is supposed to be. Complementarians fundamentally see men as being the head and the wife, as fulfilling the role of supporter to the head. Extreme complementarianism <clears throat> makes women subservient to men. Egalitarianism refutes that. They're, they're more along the lines of men and women are created totally equal in all ways. And extreme egalitarianism gets over into the error of there, we are so much alike that there might as well not be any gender differences. And, and you see where the lack of gender distinction goes today. So you've got extremes on both ways that really get us into trouble. But somewhere in that blend between egalitarianism and complementarianism is some truth in here. Number one, you see nothing in the creation story that indicates that Eve was left less of a person than Adam. You see nothing in here that indicates that she had less respect 
from God or less importance to God, uh, less significance to God. There's, there's many ways in which you understand that God created Adam and Eve and they were equal in God's sight. Yet the other side of the coin is, I told you, when God began the creation, everything he created, he gave them a role. And so, just because they're equal does not mean that men and women are not unique as well. Because you cannot take the equality and erase the uniqueness of the two. And extreme egalitarianism tends to er erase the uniqueness of men and women. And extreme complementarianism tends to take away the, the, the equality of women. So you see how I'm saying that between the two, you've got to find some truth going on here. So what roles did God give to Adam and to Eve for them to fulfill? Well, first of all, he said, Eve will always do the laundry and cook. <laughs> or not. You see, that's kind of where today the whole controversy <laughs> The whole controversy of complementarianism and egalitarianism goes because egalitarians bristle at the thought that we still have people today that insist that women have certain societal roles that they are to fulfill and men are never to do that kind of work. And any woman who breaks out of her gender role is out of line. And see, that's where the complementarians mess things up. And so, God didn't design the roles of who cooks and who does the laundry and who vacuums the floor. Those are things that you have to hammer around in your marriage. Anne and I have kind of liked to draw some lines in our marriage where I would take care of some of the heavier duty stuff and I would take care of maintenance and outdoors and she would take care of indoors. But it's not always that clean cut. I come home sometimes and find her mowing the lawn and I'm like, you're, you're taking my role from me. <laughs> but secretly I'm so happy that I don't have to mow the lawn. <laughs> and likewise, I know my way around the kitchen and I can sling hash with the best of them because we're not tied to these artificial societal roles. It says that she only does certain things and I only do... Now, if we come to that agreement between ourselves, that, that's something we work out. And there's some agreement you come to, to with yourself, that's something you work out. But these are not biblically-based roles, created roles that are built in that God said, I always want women to do nothing but. He didn't do that. But women do have a role and men do have a role. And a lot of that comes from the way we are designed. Uh, There's no question about it that fundamentally men have stronger frames and capable of doing heavier duty work than the female species. There, there are some exceptions to that where some men just absolutely refuse to tone themselves and work out, and other women uh, become buff. And if there's ever a fight in the marriage, she's going to win. We know that we've got some exceptions to the rule, but, you know, anecdotes don't make truth. So you can't base things on anecdotes. But fundamentally, we know that the frame of the man, because of the ability to uh, 
uh, with testosterone, it, it enables the body to be able to build itself in ways that the female body is not able to naturally, normally do. So God made some differences. We understand that. And it even goes into emotional things. Women and men process things differently emotionally and mentally. Now when I mentally say mentally, don't think for one minute I'm saying that uh, one is inferior to the other in IQ. That's not at all what I'm saying. But I'm saying we, we just process things differently. We, we, we view it through a different lens. Uh, I can see differences in my wife and I where I am uh, like a newspaper reporter. I'm the who, what, and when, and where. But my wife is the why. I, I can give her the facts. And she wants me to give a report of the day. Who did I meet? What did we talk about? You know, and then I can say, oh, I met them, I said this. And this. But then, then she said, but, you know, what did their face look like when they said that? What were they thinking whenever they told you that? How did they feel about that? I don't know. I don't know why they felt. She says, I want to know how they felt. What did it look like they felt like? Because we think differently. There's so many different things God had created. Because, you know why? Because whenever God said, I'm going to bring you a helper, he said, Adam, you don't have the whole package. You need a supplement. You need a complement. You need something to fulfill things in your life you do not possess and I'm going to bring you somebody who has those things and together you two make the complete package separately you don't but together you do together as you work together you you solve problems differently than you would if you were operating independently if I did not have to confer with my wife it th there would be Ways I would solve problems that I would just cut straight to the chase. This is just the way I'm going to do it because that's the way I want to do it. But when I have to confer with her, I have to take into consideration things that I would never of my own even think of considering. Because she sees things differently. Because God brought somebody to me who brings a dimension I don't have. And that's what I have to constantly remind myself. Just because I don't have it means I don't need it. The fact that God put that in a separate human being and brought them to us and said, you have to discover each other's strengths and each other's values, and you have to put those things together to make the complete package and say, oh, now I get it. Instead of going around as a man saying, I just wish she was more like me. That's not what God intended. He didn't want somebody else to be more like you. He wanted to bring somebody with a totally different perspective and approach. Because for these two to manage the things they would have to manage in life and in this world, it was going to take the contribution of both men and women to get the full picture. I wouldn't consider myself a complementarian because I don't necessarily assign silly roles to the man and to the woman. But there's, there's some things that are, I can say emphatically that are unique. Each one has their own talent. Each one has their own ability. No matter how hard I, I may try, if I would ever even want to try, I can never have babies. It ain't going to happen. We've got different roles. Men, 
God never said you couldn't change a diaper. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. If you checked out at that point, you're going to have to get a life. Come on, men. How many have had that stuff up your elbows trying to change it? You, you know what it's like? You just dive right in there. You just do it. It's not her role. The child needs rescuing. Somebody's got to do this. Whatever adult's in the room, you go for it. I can't help but say I'm glad those days are over, but it's just organic. Don't worry about it. It's all organic. Grease I can deal with, you know, but we're different. My wife and I think differently. We process information differently. We, we're emotionally different. But she brings to the marriage the things that I would never have. She is the missing things in my personality. She's the missing things in my skills. And I bring things to her life she would never have. Because we're partners. Because God brought Eve and said, this will complete you. Humanity survives and thrives by the contribution of both together. And one of the most heavily emphasized features of this creation narrative, as I just give you my concluding thoughts here, is Adam and Eve uh, were created male and female. Now, that was said at the creation. It was said in the first chapter. He created them male and female. Why state the obvious? Have you ever thought about that? Why did Moses have to state the obvious? Of course, he created them male and female. What else? But it's stated, it's emphasized because it's vitally important to stress the gender distinction that was specific to the creative design of God. And then Moses repeats this in Genesis 5 when he talks about the creation and giving Adam's family line. And the genealogy goes like this. When God created mankind, he made them in the likeness of God. Now, he could have stopped there. But Moses said again in this, this chapter, he says, He created them male and female and blessed them. That's the fifth chapter of Genesis. Then you go to the 19th chapter of Matthew. And the Pharisees came to Jesus with this question about divorce and remarriage. And Jesus goes back to the creation and he said, Haven't you read? At the beginning, the creator made them Male and female. Now, what does male and female have to do with Jesus answering the question of divorce? It was because you were emphasizing first and foremost the plan, the whole perfect plan of creation is he starts off with male and female. Let that be an established fact before we go to step number two. Then Jesus said, for this reason, will a man leave his father and mother and be united to his wife and the two will become one flesh? So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. Jesus could have given a shorter answer to that, except it was vital to keep reiterating the original plan, male and female. Now, <clears throat> Jesus thought that bit of information was vital. The story of creation is not merely about God creating human beings. 
It is about specifically God creating male and female. And the roles God assigned to Adam and to Eve were, Adam, you will be the male. Eve, you will be the female. You will share some characteristics, but you will each each have your own special giftings by design that you will bring to the relationship. You will complete each other. Sir, your wife was designated to complete you. Ma'am, your husband was designed to complete you. And together, you both can rise to your fullest potential. Now, there's a lot more I could say about God created than male and female, the way those boundaries are being erased and redefined in this day and age, but I think you're all way ahead of me. So I don't have to stand here and reiterate it all. Just remember, God's original design was the distinction and the separation, and he created them male, and he created them female, and he didn't intend for men to become women and women become men. Your role is to be a man, a male. Your role is to be a woman, be a female. And your duties are to find each other Complement each other. See, that's the problem with society now beginning to think two men can get married and be just as healthy as a man and a woman. Two women can get married and be just as healthy as a man and a woman because it does not fit God's original design where he said it takes these different but complementary people coming together to make the complete perfect picture. Two men can't do that. Two women can't do that. And two dysfunctional uh, men and women can't do that. It has to be man and a woman, both godly in their intentions and their life, coming together and doing God's will before it actually all works. There's a lot of impediments to this working, but you get your act together, you bring who you are, who God created you, and you, who God created you to be, and you both set your hearts and your minds on God, and you're on the path to God's perfect design for humanity. That's the story creation. Would you bow your heads?